chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, he brought that made the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then he brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of the God of Jerusalem, the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's men, excuse me, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known of the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet banqueting hall and the queen declared O king live forever let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him and king Nebuchadnezzar your father your father the king made him chief of the magicians enchanters, Chaldeans and astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. He will show you the interpretation. <clears throat> then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that he, that the spirit of the gods is in you and the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, but they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writings and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a gold chain, a chain of gold around your neck and be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be, before, be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. 
But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his king, kingly throne and the glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys and he, fed, he was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessel of his house have been brought in before you, and you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see nor hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and who, whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and his writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean was killed, king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, page 881 in the Black Pew Bible. We've been walking through the book of Daniel, and we see that God and his kingdom is everlasting. Mankind and man's kingdoms are temporal. We see that over and over, and we'll see that again this morning in chapter 5. I do like to introduce influential authors and preachers and teachers and, and songwriters to you, so I've got one I want to expose you to this morning. You got that ready for us? Well, the Bible tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all his land. Round the city he built a wall and declared that Babylon would never fall. He had concubines and wives, called his Babylon paradise. Up on his throne he drank and ate, but for Belshazzar it was getting late. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided and his kingdom could not stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. Yes, his houses were built upon the drift and sinking sand. Oh, well, the people feasted and drank the wine. Well, what I did, let me tell you why I'm sharing that video, because I asked the praise team, and I don't ask a lot of these guys, you know. And I said, hey, I, wanna, I got a song I want us to sing on Sunday morning. It goes right along with our text. And they said, no. And I said, well, I've got to show the video. Um, but I actually showed that also for Jerry Johnson. He's on a school trip, but I'm, 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 ho I'm hoping he's listening because he loves some Johnny Cash. But he's our, 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 our singer-songwriter uh, of the day. Uh, but he wrote that song. He, he went into Sun uh, Studios in Memphis. And the first time he was there, and the producer there uh, asked him, uh, if he could sing a song that he had written. 
And he says, yeah, I can. He said, this song is a, actually a religious song, and it was about Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. And so I'll encourage you to go and YouTube and check that out. The, the, the chorus is, for he was weighed in the balance and found warning. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found warning. His houses were built upon the sand. If you listen to that song and you read the lyrics, it's just spot on. It goes right along with the text. Uh, so I, I, I like that song. I want to introduce that to you. But the chapter here in Daniel chapter 5 is actually out of, out of order. Uh, it's not in chronological order. The author on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit put this information together in this way. The historical events first, chapters 1 through 6, and then the forward-looking, the, the prophecy about the future in chapter 7 through 12. And so if you're putting these chapters together chronologically, it, chronologically, it would look like chapters 1 through 4, and then chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 5, chapter 9, and chapter 6. Um, so it's a little bit out of order. But up to this point, we've seen how God has interacted with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who thought highly of himself. And we've seen through his interactions with Nebuchadnezzar that God and his kingdom is everlasting. But not, not only Nebuchadnezzar, but all the kingdoms of the world are fleeting. But now all of a sudden, we sing this king being Belshazzar. And we're thankful, thinking about Nebuchadnezzar there in chapter 4, we see a heart change, don't we? Because we saw last week that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we see finally Nebuchadnezzar yielded on bended knee, right? Surrendering to the Lord, seeing God rightly and seeing himself rightly as well. But now we're introduced to Belshazzar. Well, who is this uh, King Belshazzar? Is he the son of Nebuchadnezzar? It, it says that, but it seems like he was the son of Nabonidinus, one of the successors of King Neb, just like the Davidic kings. You know, they're called the sons of David. We see that here as well. He's a son of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, his father was unpopular in Babylon, and it seems like he moved his capital to another city, but he left Belshazzar behind to rule. And it's interesting in this passage that Belshazzar promises to make Daniel not the second man in the kingdom, but he promised to make him third in the kingdom because uh, he was probably the second man under his father, Nabonidus. So um, let's look at the text, verses 1 through 16. Uh, we'll see that we should not neglect the worship of the one true living God. So chapter 4, we see the heart change in Nebuchadnezzar, and we move forward in the narrative where this is probably a grandson or great-grandson is ruling over Babylon, and he's, in, he's enjoying himself. We've had some
pagan inebriation, resulting in praise not to the Most High God, but praise of the idols of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's interesting, if the goblets are made of gold and silver, why would they just worship the, the gods of gold and silver? But no, it's other things too, right? Bronze and iron, wood and stone. Does wine taste better if it's in a consecrated goblet? <coughs> I don't think so. Why would Belshazzar bring out these goblets? What was the point? I think this is an act of defiance against the God of heaven, right? These cups were devoted to his service. And by bringing these out and using them in his own party, he's mocking God, isn't he? Is he not proclaiming the supremacy of his gods over the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So there's this defiance going on right about Shazar. And it's, I was thinking about this as I was studying this passage, other times where people have made a mockery of God. You remember in the when he had the dream of the, the image, the head made of gold that represented the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar's Empire, right? And he had the, the chest and arms of silver, right? The, the waist and the thighs of bronze and the legs of iron and the feet of clay and iron mixed together. Well, one of those kingdoms was Greece, right? Antiochus Epiphanes. It's 167-168. Uh, if you remember that story, he invaded Jerusalem and he captured the city. And he put a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple and he sacrificed a pig, a pig, right, on the altar. Remember that story? Maybe think about this incident here with Belshazzar taking the golden goblets, those that had been consecrated to the worship of God in the temple and he's using them to help them get inebriated and worship the false gods but we see an absence of worship and a neglect of worship and a mockery of worship last week we saw Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his reign he had a heart change he bowed his knee in worship but here Belshazzar neglects worship He's neglecting, worshiping the true God who's given him life and breath and everything that he has. And notice in verse 5, immediately, what's the result of this blasphemy? We see a handwriting on the wall, the fingers of God, putting something on the wall that everyone can see. And the message is a message of judgment, isn't it? It would have been scary enough if they understood the message, right? They didn't understand. At this point, they didn't understand the message. But you had a hand with no body, and it spooked my it spooked my eye. So the inebriated king quickly is sobered. This arrogance of his posture in the early verses of the chapter give way to a pale, feeble knee, wet pants, cutie cat, right? And it's amazing sometimes how quickly when we read through the scriptures, God's justice falls on the the blasphemous. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appear. 
how Shazar he sees the handwriting on the wall. And it's interesting to me, he knew this, wouldn't, this wasn't going to end well. He sees it and he's afraid. He's afraid because of the, the hand and the, the writing on the wall. They couldn't understand the writing. And it's not that they didn't understand the words, I don't think. It's an Aramaic. I think they understood the words. They didn't understand what it meant. But why is it that Belshazzar wouldn't think this was a good thing? Why would it not be some prophecy about something good that would happen to him? Well, I think maybe because his conscience bothered him. It's almost like the atheist in the foxhole, right, in war, right? Sinners are aware of their rebellion. They're aware of their guilt to some degree. And it's interesting, we see this idiom, the handwriting of the wall. And maybe in your small groups you could uh, spend some time with this. The idiom's found in the Bible. You see others, like we'll see in chapter 6. Morgan's getting to teach uh, Daniel chapter 6. And sometimes we talk about being in the, in the lion's den, right? Or in the twinkling of an eye, or eating the forbidden fruit, or going the extra mile. These are all idioms found in the Bible. We see this when seeing the handwriting on the wall. And, and the, the wise men are called in, as they always are. And for some reason, Daniel is just kind of put on the shelf. We don't know what Daniel's doing in, in the king's court, but he's not, he's not anywhere to be found. In fact, Belshazzar didn't even know. He's been kind of put away, not being used. Belshazzar didn't call for his services, but once again, he calls for all the other wise men. They come out and they have no answer. They could not understand it. And so the queen, probably not... The wife of Belshazzar, probably a, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, she comes in and she sees that, that the king's losing it in verses 10 through 12, right? She wanted to help like a good grandmother would do. and She remembered Daniel. And Daniel, he's an older man now, kind of passed into obscurity under Belshazzar's reign. But he's brought in and he he's asked to help. Verse 13 to 16, can you help me? Ask the king, right? I've heard of you. Once the queen uh, mentioned him, oh yeah, I think I recall this guy. Can you help me? And he said, I'll reward you. It's funny how God's people sometimes are, they're only necessary when the world and people's pride have been knocked out from under them. I, I couldn't remember several times I was at a little, uh, little gas station. Sometimes you go and in the mornings I try to, there's, uh, some men that sit up there and drink coffee and uh, eat sauce and biscuit or something. I try to go up there from time to time just to chew the fat, spend a little time with them. And it's funny through the years uh, how on several occasions a couple of these guys, they don't know the Lord and know I'm a pastor. It's kind of like this ridicule, you know, kind of making fun or you're the preacher making fun. And it's interesting. One of those times happened and just later that week, the same person who was kind of ridiculed, they had a wife who was deathly ill. And so they called and they wanted me to pray in our church to pray for this wife who was on her deathbed or she, he thought maybe she would pass away. And so he was, he was uh, asking us to pray. That, that happens sometimes, isn't it? It's interesting. We're all created to worship. That's what we're created to do. We're, we're created to worship God. What is our purpose in life? What's the chief end of man? It's to give God glory, right? And we're always worshiping something. We give worth to something. Something's really important to us. We treat it as being important in our lives. We worship 
things. We're always going to worship something. Either worship in order, it's an idol, maybe. And idols in our lives take many forms, don't they? It could be pleasure. It could be in America, it's, it's pleasure and comfort. That's a big idol in our lives. I think we like to be comfortable. The thermostat's always on 72, 73 in my house, 68 in your house, right? We like being comfortable. I mean, we, could you imagine having a car that didn't have air conditioner? You would sell that joker in a hot minute. Get you something else, right? But it could be other things like money or a job or a relationship or a hobby. But we always worship. We're always worshiping something, giving worth to something. Showing something is very important in our lives. And when we do that, and it's something takes preeminence over our relationship with the Lord, it becomes idolatrous. It's something we all struggle with constantly. We're created to worship. Belshazzar is created to worship. And he's neglecting worshiping the true God. What about you? What about me? What about us these days? This week, how's our worship? Did we neglect worshiping the one true God? The second thing we see in our text, verse 17 to 23, is we don't need to disregard the work of God. Notice in 17 to 21, Daniel responded to Belshazzar. What did he say? He said, I'm going to reward you if you help me. And Daniel says, just keep your stuff. I don't need your stuff, right? He's older in life. He's seen that things don't really matter. I don't really want all your stuff, all your rewards, but I'll help you. I'll help you. And then Daniel then proceeded to remind Belshazzar of what his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had learned. He reminds him of his pride. He reminds him of his humility, how he was brought low. Verse 18, O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, language, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. And Belshazzar knew this. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar. He had heard. He might have even seen this take place. And Daniel was saying, you're prideful like Nebuchadnezzar. Even though you knew about his humbling experience with God, you get to humble yourself. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. We saw that last week in chapter 4. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. See, he's He's competing against God who humbles the proud. He's walking contrary to God. He's worshiping objects that have no knowledge, no ability, but the God who has ability, who's given you life and breath and everything that you have, you give not only do you neglect him, you give him no second thought at all. You blaspheme the one who sets up kings and who humbles kings. 
think about our, our, our own lives. Are we neglecting the work of God that we see Him doing in other people? I think about Think about our grandparents. Not all of us, I understand this, but many of us we have grandparents who really love the Lord. And when life throws a curveball and you end up with a, in a difficult situation, you're having hard times, maybe there's an illness, maybe there's a tragedy in your life, you call your grandmother, your grandfather, and you ask him or her to pray because you know that the prayers of a righteous man avail much. And you see that now. You see that in your relatives that love the Lord. You know God is real. You know God has changed his lives. And you know that your grandparents love the Lord. And so you call them and you ask them to pray when there is a need. But yet some of us, maybe we resist yielding to the God of our, our grandparents. Or maybe it's a spouse. Maybe one of your, you maybe your your husband, your wife has a heart that is tender and sensitive to the Lord. And when they get in the flesh, right, as we all do, you know that in time they're going to make that right with you because the Lord disciplines his children whom he loves. And you've seen it time and time again. Your spouse is rebellious and gets in the flesh, and but then the, the Lord disciplines them and they come back and they make that right. And you're, you're thankful for that, but yet you are not willing to yield to God's authority in your own life. And maybe for you it's a, it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's even a, a child of yours. And you see the Lord working in their life. And you know that the Lord is real and He's, he's active in the life of your loved one or your friend or your neighbor or your co-worker, but yet you are disregarding the work and you're not willing to live or submit your life to the Lord. That's what's happening in Belshazzar. He knew what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but yet he didn't want that to happen in his own. Don't disregard the work of God. And, and lastly, don't ignore the Word of God. Look at verse 24 through 30. The Word of the Lord here in this incident was written on a wall. It's a word of warning. It's a prophetic word. And what God is saying here to Belshazzar, he's just like Nebuchadnezzar was sent to the pasture. He, he's also going to be sent to the pasture. From his presence, the hand was sent, and Daniel is talking here, and this writing was inscribed. And there's four words. The first word, mene or mene, mene, means God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And Daniel's explaining this to Belshazzar. Numbered Belshazzar's rule and his life would soon be over. You know, our, our days are numbered also in Psalm 139. Let me read this for you. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes, the psalmist writes, saw, to speak to the Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So our days are numbered. Belshazzar's days are numbered. Tekel, he's weighed and wanted. This means he's his his life has been put on a scale. 
didn't amount to much. He's lacking righteousness and will be judged. And then Parson means divided. His kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And I think about God's judgment as the final dividing of the ways. One way, is, one way leads to life and one way leads to death. And these words, again, I probably understood that their significance was. So this is a word from the Lord, a prophetic word. It's a word of warning given to Belshazzar. And it's interesting, if you look at verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him, that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. It's interesting. Daniel and his, his Shadrach, Meshach, Bingo, in every incident, they're promoted, they're promoted, they're promoted. It's interesting that Belshazzar kept his word. Hey, if you help me, if you explain this meaning of this writing, then I'll reward you, and he did. Unbeknownst to him, he wouldn't be able to fulfill that completely. We're not told of any remorse. We're not told of any repentance. We're not told of him seeking or pleading a way to avoid the outcome that was told would happen. But look at verse 30. He kept his word to Daniel, but God kept his word as well, didn't he? That night, Belshazzar not only lost his kingdom, he lost his life. And the Babylonian Empire was no more. What happened, Darius brought, his, brought a part of the army and diverted the Euphrates River. The river flowed through the city, and there was a wall, and the, the, the river flew, would flow underneath that wall. Remember, we talked about the wall and how impenetrable they were. They were so wide and so high. But they diverted the Euphrates River. And when they diverted the river, they walked underneath the bridge, almost on dry land, and they were able to get into the city, sneak in the city, and that night is the Belshazzar's having a party. The Persian army attacked them and his life was taken. When we see these Historical texts, these narrative texts, we always have to ask, what does it teach us about the Lord? Remember in hermeneutics on, on Wednesday nights, we're reminded that you know, God's the hero. We always have to ask, what does it teach us about the Lord? Well, we see here that God is sovereign. He numbered Belshazzar's days. Belshazzar's kingdom ceased because God wanted it to cease. So how else do we apply this text? Daniel chapter 5. I think we need to remember that God's justice, His judgment is unavoidable. And here, sometimes, it just happens just like that, right? Immediately, right? Because of His arrogance, because of His blasphemous acts. Immediately, the hand appeared, the, wall, the, the writing was on the wall, it was interpreted, and that evening, Belshazzar lost his life. That doesn't always happen in our lives, right? But his judgment is unavoidable for those who are in rebellion against him. For people like Nebuchadnezzar and people like Belshazzar. Don't neglect worshiping the one true living God. Amen. Don't ignore his work, what he's doing. And others, and don't ignore his word. Don't ignore his 
warnings of judgment in the scriptures. <coughs> Secondly, I think sin makes us oblivious to danger. Think about Belshazzar. He's he should have been diligent, take care of his people, but instead, uh, instead of thinking about his nation's welfare, he's having a party, right? And that's what I think sinful people, people who are self-absorbed, people who oppose the Lord, they're wrapped up in their own lives, right? Thinking of keep drink, be merry, live life to the fullest, and their lives every day are taken. Not thinking that judgment will come. I think thirdly, we need to remember or know that outside of Christ, the same verdict that Belshazzar was given is also given to us. Every person that walks the earth is weighed in the balances and found wanting. And so for us as believers, one of the things we we're so thankful for even as Jim, he led us in time of confession, and at the end of the time of confession, he gives thanks to the Lord. And he thanks the Lord for Christ. This is if Christ has taken our all our sin that's on the, the scale, right? And he's brushed it aside. He's put his own righteous acts, his own character on the scale for us. And we see that in Scripture, right? First Peter 3:18, for Christ suffered for sins once for all, righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Aren't you thankful? There's a, a lot of people here this morning. Not as many as it normally is, right? We've got a lot of folks in the spring break. But there's a lot of testimonies here in this room. And Christ has done a work in your life. And I see that. So many of you are walking with the Lord and you're seeking to please the Lord and you give Him glory with your lives. And we need to be thankful for what Christ has done for us because Christ came and took on flesh and became a man and He walked this earth perfectly. That's amazing, isn't it? He walked this earth perfectly, keeping the law perfectly. Loving the Father, loving all people perfectly. He did that and it's really, really important. We think about his death, but a lot of times we forget his life. His righteous life is really important. Because that, those, those things that Jesus did, we must do. How we love the Father, how we love the neighbor. That's how we must live our lives. You think, well, I can't. Even if you say right now, uh, you know, from this moment on, I, I, I know I'm a sinner, and from this moment on, I'm not going to sin anymore. And if that was even possible, which it's not, you still couldn't have a relationship with the Father, right? Because of all the past sin in your life. And that's what sin does. It separates us. And we must live a righteous life, a perfect life, fulfilling the law completely. And that's what Jesus did for us. He lived perfectly, and he obeyed the Father perfectly, and then he willingly gave up his life. That was part of that obeying the Father perfectly, wasn't it? Him giving up his life, going to a cross to make atonement for sinners. He died. The Father poured out his wrath upon the Son. 
bearing a guilt, shame, punishment for sinners like me like you. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. And the Bible says he rose from the dead for our justification so we could be made right with God the Father. So we could have a relationship with the Father. And so just by way of application, if, if you're If you're here today and you've never repented of your sin, you've never turned from your sin, trusted the work Christ did while He was on earth, and the Christ, what Christ did on the cross for you, I want to encourage you to, to repent and to turn from your wicked ways. Turn from a life of selfishness and pride and arrogance. And trust the work that Christ did on the cross for you. I want to encourage you to do that. If you're like, I'm not really sure how to do that. I, I'd like to know more about that. I would love to talk to you about that. There's a bunch of people here that would love to talk to you about that. But I, I'll, I'll be the last one to leave today. I'd love to share more about what Christ has done for sinners. If you're not in Christ, if you get to repent and trust Christ, you're the same judgment that fell upon Belshazzar is going to fall upon you. So today, by way of application, repent and trust Christ as the Lord and Savior. For us as a church, what do we do with this text? We need to share that message, don't we? Just as Jim shared in our confession time, we have a an obligation and a privilege right, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. What we've learned so far in Daniel is that God and His kingdom will last forever. Everything else is fleeting, temporary. Let's make sure we're being faithful to the Lord. Don't you stand with me? We're going to sing. Uh, just a, a benediction. I'm glad you're here. Hope to get some people most of you before you leave. Just a benediction song. But I want to pray as we do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Daniel chapter 5. Father, we're thankful that even though we're we've been weighed in the balances and found wanting for so many of us here in this room we've found forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us and Father I pray that you would do that same work and those that are here that are lost that you would draw them to yourself that they would understand who they are, they would see themselves rightly, they would see you as you are, and they would be able to yield in faith to you today. May they trust Christ's work, the work he did on this earth and the work he did on the cross as their own. Father, may you grant them repentance today and may they experience new life in Christ. And Father, for us, the church, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for the testimony we have. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace 
Father, we recognize that everything above hell is a privilege for all of us. But for your church, you've done a mighty work, and we're so thankful. May we live live our lives gratefully. And may we be faithful this week to look for opportunities to share the, the good news of Jesus with those who are perishing. The Belshazzars and the Nebuchadnezzars of the world. Father, we recognize that our sins are many. We're so thankful that your mercy is more. Yes, yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.